Hello and welcome to the first ever Syracuse.com Syracuse football podcast. I'm Stephen Bailey, the SU football beat writer, and joining me twice a week, every week, is Julian Wiggum, former SU defensive back who has worked for Noon's Magician 24-7, doing some analysis for SU. Uh, Julian, how excited are you to jump into this? I was surprised when you uh, gave me the call. Uh, this is this is really exciting. I think the people should enjoy it, man. Uh, love having conversations about Syracuse football. Well, as Dino Babers likes to say, sometimes the cake's got to bake for a little bit. And <laughs> it did, but it's coming out of the oven. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we're about to cut into it. So we'll, we'll see how ready we are. Um, I'm kind of yep. likening this to our Week Zero podcast. So for everyone listening out there, this is our first time through. You know, please please work with us on everything. But the plan is to have two podcasts every week. We're going to have a Thursday pod looking ahead to Syracuse football's next matchup, obviously Maryland this week. And on Sunday night, we're going to have kind of a recap analysis type podcast, hopefully a little bit of time to digest Saturday's game. Uh, we'll probably move that up for NC State and Pitt. we got weekday games, um, something for your morning commute the next, the next day. So um, that's what you can expect throughout the year. And, and I'm, I'm thrilled. You know, I'm really excited about this. Uh, when I had the idea to, to kind of start this podcast, I thought there'd be no one better than Julian. And, and look, you know, we're going to be asking everyone out there in the audience to subscribe, to give us a good rating, to share this. Um, we know we're coming in on week two of the football season, so we're asking for a lot of help from you guys to put this out there. Um, now let's, let's dive in. You know, I've written uh, a lot about the Liberty Week already. Syracuse's two-back formation that Dino Babers unveiled before he wanted to, a little bit on what happened with the passing game. But, you know, Julian, what were your kind of primary takeaways from that week one 24-0 win against the Flames? So going in, in every preseason game, or really I call them preseason games, but, you know, that, that week one when you've got a, a lesser opponent, you know, a team that just got into the FBS, uh, former FCS school, I always call these games basically grocery list games. And it's not even the hard part of going out, you know, shopping and trying to figure out what you need. It's the part where you're still at home and you're figuring out what you already have. And you're just checking off that list. All right, we got Cheerios. We don't need to get cereal, all that stuff, right? So this game was more of a, okay, what do we have? What do we think we have going into week one? And can we confirm that? off of this game. So going in, it was, all right, defensive line. They're supposed to be pretty good this year. Sure enough, they come out with a ton of sacks and shut Liberty down. The secondary, they're supposed to be pretty good this year. Chris Frederick coming back, uh, Trill Williams, the young cats, Andre Sisko, the All-American at safety. Can they play? Have, did they have a fluke season last year? Sure enough, Andre Sisko comes out with a pick. Guys getting picks everywhere. So I'm like, okay, great. Secondary is where they're at and where they're supposed to be. Then you go to the other side. Is Tommy DeVito the real deal? Is the offensive line ready to go? Can they run the football this year? And we didn't see that. So it's like, ah, shoot. Not quite sure, but it can get better. And I think Dino Babers, he put it uh, best. You know, if if you tell him, Kevin, you'll have a great defense this year. Special teams will be great. you got to work on the offense. He'll take those cards. I'm like, you know what? I'm right there with you because Coach Babers, he knows his offense. He knows how to get that ready. And with the receivers and the, mis- the miscommunication and all the injuries they had during camp, I think that's something that can improve uh, pretty quickly and dramatically. So I think they have a great problem right now. But going into the game with Liberty, uh, seeing the defensive line play as well as they did, that gave me confidence because that can nullify a lot of issues around the rest of your team. So 
say you have a problem with your linebacker. That's supposed to be a question, right? Your defensive line's playing well. Your linebackers typically don't have that much more to do. And that's kind of what we saw against Liberty. I mean, we know they have speed. I love the way they were playing. Uh, but for now, I, I, right now, I think this defense is going to be okay. They showed that against Liberty. Um, and right now, my only question is, can DeVito get it? And how fast can he get it? He's someone that we saw last year uh, come into games because Coach Favors had so much faith in him. I just want to know why they have so much faith in him. What was it that was so great about him? We saw glimpses last season against UNC, Florida State. I just want to see it consistently. So going into this Maryland game, uh, I think that there's another chance for him to check off some of those boxes as far as, all right, Tommy DeVito is great. Those receivers are great. Taj Harris knows what to do. Uh, we got a guy in the slot, uh, Nike Johnson, Sean Riley. Can those guys play? Can they go downfield? That's all I want to see and continue to check those boxes. Uh, but against Liberty, man, it, it's so limited. Uh, it's hard to know exactly what kind of team you have. And that's why I'm, I'm still not entirely sold on Maryland either. Because like I said on Twitter, I mean, if you've got a fat kid that just beats up on small kids all the time, <laughs> how strong is he, you know? So coming into this game, I think there's a lot of room for Syracuse to improve. I think Maryland should come into this game a little bit overconfident in what they can do. And I think Syracuse has a great chance to take advantage of that. A lot of good points, a lot of good points. All right, here's the layout for the rest of the show. Uh, we're going to dive right into to Maryland talk and, and kind of the key matchups there. Um, we are going to go to the phone lines. We have Emily Giambalvo from the Washington Post. Does a great job covering Maryland. And local businesses out there, if you want to sponsor the phone, phone line or sponsor the show, i got a number for you to call. That's 315-470-6069. My guy Dylan Carpenter. Uh, hit him up if you want to get in on that. Um, we got Emily this week, first person up on the phone line. We're hopefully going to have a nice guest every week. Uh, we got some fan questions. We got some recommended reading. Uh, and then we got predictions. And because this is our week zero show, uh, we are going to give predictions for the Maryland game and also for the season. All right, so let's, let's dive right in. Uh, to me, on paper, the biggest matchup of this Maryland game is the Maryland offensive line versus the Syracuse defensive line. We know the Terrapins have some really, really good talent at running back, Anthony McFarlane, uh, and a cast mm -hmm. of wide receivers. they got two good tight ends. But how much can they make use of that? How, how much time will Josh Jackson have with two pretty inexperienced offensive tackles? You know, how do you see that matchup playing out, Julian? And, and what will Maryland need to do to combat that pressure? Well, one, I think Alden Robinson, Kendall Coleman, I think they're going to have another day because if you put two inexperienced tackles out there, I mean, that's, that's lunch. They're food. You're going to have to double those guys. And what they were doing last week, I mean, we were talking about it before the show, uh, you know, Alden Robinson, they're beating double teams. You know, these guys are legitimate NFL prospects. Some of the best two defensive ends Syracuse has had in a very long time. And when you get a pass rush, off the edge, defensive end is probably one of the most valuable positions in football, college or the NFL, because it's so difficult to, to respond to as an offense. If you're a quarterback, sometimes the pressure isn't even there, and you're already looking over your shoulder like, oh, shoot, let me get rid of the ball quicker. You know, that's something that you know our coach, Coach Schaefer, when I was there, used to go, on, go off on all the time. Marone, the same thing. When you have a defensive end that you have to worry about, it causes so many problems. So to combat that, I'm expecting Maryland to get the ball out quickly. One, they'll try to run the ball, 
keep that uh, pass rush off them a bit, you know, have those defensive linemen trying to fill up gaps, have those linebackers coming up a bit, try to open some things up for them vertically. And then when they go to the pass game, they're going to try to go uh, get guys in space. You know, that's something that uh, the previews of Maryland football was talking about, getting athletes in space, letting them run. Now, I don't see that working just because of Syracuse's defensive emphasis on playing tighter coverage. And this is another thing. I'm, I'm so proud of the secondary from what we used to see uh, back in 2016 with Coach Faber's first got there, and they were some of the softest coverages, you know, ever seen. You know, all of a sudden, guys are playing up more. They're much more physical, playing tighter. Even if it's zone coverage, they tend to have man emphasis, you know, a little bit deeper football stuff there. But they're, they're playing so much tighter now. It's hard to... Uh, to get that ball out and have guys in space where they can make two, three moves and still get upfield. So my expectation for Maryland is to get the ball out quickly. I think we'll see a lot of screens. We saw that last from Liberty, and teams typically tend to steal things from the previous opponents that they saw that were successful. So I'm anticipating a lot of screens because uh, of Syracuse's uh, pass rush. But, again, there's so much speed on this defensive side of the ball that I think it's going to be much more difficult for Maryland to get up the field. I mean, a lot of the stuff that they were getting against Liberty was because they were a glorified high school team. And I don't mean to dis- or disrespect to Howard like that. Howard, I'm sorry. But, I mean, it's just some of the stuff the corners were doing, playing outside leverage, uh, had their hips open. I Like, just stuff I genuinely hadn't seen since high school. You know, and I don't know what the coaches were doing over there, but – I, I just don't think that the level, the, the playing level that Howard was on was anything comparable to an actual Division One program with, you know, competence. Yeah, I agree with you. Kind of a, an, an underrated story here. Maryland lost sophomore receiver Deshaun Jones due to a knee injury during camp, and I think he was going to be a big part of that group. They still, they've kind of got a balanced group, actually kind of like Syracuse. Uh, Dante Demas had three catches for and two touchdowns, I think over 100 yards uh, against Howard. DJ Turner, Daryl Jones, so they're going to try. I think I think they're going to try and get the ball in those guys' hands. But man, that's you know Syracuse's defensive line is the strength of that unit. But the secondary is not far off. We saw Chris Frederick jump a couple bubble screens last week. Uh, I think Dino Babers yep. kind of hinted at him wanting to see if Fatu Malafon will be a little more aggressive uh, on those plays in his postgame press conference. But you know Syracuse is going to have to win that matchup, and then I think the linebackers will have a, a little bit of a bigger test this week in in McFarland because. Lakeem Williams and Andrew Armstrong, in my opinion, are a little bit quicker than Guthrie and Whitner last year, which means if yeah. you make a bad step, you can make up for it. But if you're going up against, you know, McFarlane, who's a thousand yard back last year and has the speed to break free, well, that that one step might be a little more costly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and that's the thing that I wanted to see this year from the linebacker group. Can you read and react much faster than last year? And it, it kind of killed me to when we were talking about the pick game and such. And Whit, he was he was my guy, man. And, and but to see and see him not play well and then have to talk about it, uh, that kind of hurt me a little bit. But uh, you know, this group here, I, I am excited because they're much faster. You, you could see it clearly on tape. But last year, I have guys who hadn't played football since high school and had that. You know, the guys with the knee injury that just they were great but couldn't play. They even they could see it. And we're like, dude, what are, what are linebackers doing? You know, that's that's the big gap. Why isn't he there? Why is he just watching it? Why is he watching the back just come out of the backfield and not covering it? You know, these questions that were just obvious to anyone who's had a, an ounce of football knowledge. So uh, to see so much improvement from this Liberty game, being in their gaps, being able to cover uh, the 
sideline to sideline, actually having speed that I remember uh, Zaire, Franklin, and uh, well, PJ having. Like, it, it was Paris Bennett. Uh, like, it, it's encouraging to see, and I think that that's something that if Andrew Armstrong and those guys can, can uh, replicate from that 2016-17 linebacking group, uh, I think that Syracuse defense will be very difficult to uh, move the ball against because there's, there's so much speed on that defensive line and secondary group. And then I don't mean to keep going on you, but uh, with Melifonwu, key for him is just going to be being physical. That was the big thing when I was a corner. Like when I got in, um, I was about 165, 170, and he had a very similar frame to me uh, when he got there. And when you come in, even though you gain – all of that weight, I think he's somewhere around 200 pounds now, which I'm super jealous of, by the way. It took me four years. It took me four years to actually get to 200 pounds. And once the season started, I was still at, like, 195. You know, it's, it's weird, like, that mental, like, seeing the two. Like, you just feel strong, like your chest is heavy. But uh, <laughs> but point being, uh, when you get to school and you're a corner, you generally played with your feet. You've been uh, agile, like your speed. For me, it was my length. That helped me get to college. And what you know typically is what you stick to using in it, once you rise up a level, once you get to that college level, right? So for him, I'm sensing a bit of he's so used to being the agile, fast corner that adding that physical mentality is something that he has to work on. And Coach Davis, you know, he's a great coach. He knows how to just, you know, give him that little tap on shoulder. Like, hey, man, we need this from you. I think once he gets that part as well, and he talks about it with you, uh, who the, the corners that he watches, uh, whether that be Ramsey and, and all those guys, they're physical too. Yeah. You know, they come up and tackle, but that's something that corners typically have to learn. Like, you're not – you don't go into – uh, being a corner, like, man, I really want to hit people. Otherwise, you just go play safety. You know, I didn't like hitting people, but I did it because <laughs> it was part of my job. You know, <laughs> like, that's, I, I'm, the, I'm the worst to play that. I don't like, I didn't like contact. But anyway, uh, when, when, when you're at corner, you, you do need to learn how to attack a receiver and genuinely want to be physical. And once you get that part down, you're a complete corner. I think he has the potential to do so. He has the length to keep a receiver off them and, and close that gap on the perimeter. Great insight there. And as you kind of alluded to, he did talk about this during preseason camp. You know, he spent the offseason working on a lot of stuff, but, but press man coverage, studying those yeah. NFL, NFL corners, Ramsey, Stephon Gilmore, um, and, and really getting his body ready for it because he had a hamstring injury that kind of kept – after he had that big game against uh, North Carolina, he, mm -hmm. he didn't play much for the rest of the year. He didn't feel full go until the bowl game. He had a hamstring issue. So – he said he's basically been in the training room every day since then. Mm. So we'll we'll see we will see how he holds up. Uh, let's flip sides of the ball. To to me, if there's one area of concern for for Syracuse football, I know some people might think the passing game with Tommy DeVito. I actually think that is going to work out over time when they nail those option routes down. DeVito settles in a little right. bit. It's the offensive line. You know they they were not opening up holes against Liberty. I think they made one sizable hole. And that was Monique's 42-yard touchdown. And that, as Dino Baber said, that was a thing of beauty. But look, now Maryland doesn't have a great front. They run a 3-4 with kind of a, a hybrid guy as the fourth linebacker and Shaq Smith. Yeah. But, yeah. but they're going to be better. So, you know, wh wh how do you kind of look at that matchup? And, and if Sam Heckle's not in there, to me, the bigger concern is pass protection because then you've got Ryan Alexander and Carlos Vettorello at tackle rather than Aaron Service. Right. Yep. Yeah, the inexperience there is, is my biggest concern. As far as being – because the offensive line, that's 
and this is something a coach had told me a long time ago. Uh, the farther away you are from the ball, the easier it is to get on the field early. And that just means, you know, you can you see a lot of freshman corners and freshman receivers get on the field super early and they make big plays because most of the time your athleticism can carry you, right? And then at corner, you don't have to think that much because there's only four coverages, you know, man, cover three, cover two, whatever. Uh, so it's easy to get out there. You're not thinking as much, and it's, you, you can just go out there and run. Receiver the same way. If you're mildly intelligent and can remember the plays, you can go out there and use your athleticism to make a couple catches. Uh, the offensive line, defensive line, particularly the offensive line, much different. One, you have to be physically ready. All those kids up front are fat. They're all 6'5", 300-some pounds. So when I say fat, I mean that positively. You know, they, they, they have the weight on them to, to be physical. They can move people out of the way. But uh, the biggest component to that is understanding the gap. Zone block, it's a, it's a zone blocking scheme. And all that means is you're taking, you're taking a couple steps and you're getting the guy in whatever assigned zone gap that you have, right? And it's a, and got the, I don't mind you. I was never an offensive lineman, never attempted to be one. You I was always an offensive in lineman, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I lived with all, three of them. They were the worst roommates ever. You leave a pizza out for just a moment, it was gone. So, yeah, the fat kids, they always used to, and that's why I call them fat kids, they used to piss me off all the time. <laughs> but, uh, but they would always give me some insight, especially Omari, saying that he loved, uh, Omari Palmer saying that he loved zone blocking schemes because it's easier than, uh, than just manning up. He thought it was, it just mentally he thought it was easier uh, on him. And so I think that it's, if, as long as these guys, and that's why I say inexperienced, if, if these guys can start to pick up on where they need to be, I don't think it's an ability thing more so than just mentally understanding where they need to be and being confident in the step that they take and who they're supposed to be moving off the ball. So I, all I'm expecting is a step in the right direction to actually open up some holes and pass block a little bit better. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what the growth there is like this weekend. To me, the importance of, of Sam Heckle potentially playing is if you can put Aaron Service at left tackle, that is a much better matchup against Shaq Smith than yeah. Ryan Alexander, yeah. in my opinion. Uh, Shaq plays the jack position. A transfer from Clemson. He's basically an end outside linebacker hybrid, and it's it's really interesting to see how um, how the Terrapins kind of use him. This is only their second game. They went really vanilla against Howard, obviously. Um, so that's that to me. That's the importance because I, I I think anyone who rewatched or even might have seen it live last week, Sam Heckle got blown up a couple times in pass protection. But you're still almost better with that a couple times a game than. Not having service out there, who I think is clearly the best lineman at this point. Um, oh, absolutely. So, so one thing I was really excited to ask you about is Syracuse's two-back offense. And it's something they have been working on since the start of preseason camp. It's something I expected to see probably week three against Clemson or, or maybe against Maryland, depending on how the game went. Um, but now it's on tape. Liberty wasn't ready for it. And, and as we saw, it was extremely effective. Uh, we had Abdul Adams kind of getting an, R, an RPO that DeVito pulled and, and flipped to him in the right flat. The Liberty's linebackers were clearly unprepared. That set up Jarvion Howard's touchdown. And I, I think that kind of little um, little wrinkle really helped Syracuse seal that game. But like I said, now it's on tape. So, you know, what did you kind of kind of take away from that, Julian? And, and if you're Maryland, now that you've seen it, how do you try and prepare? Yeah, so with Liberty, 
the first thing is the linebackers, they were confused. How do we handle this? And that was the big question uh, coming out of the gate as soon as they saw it. Oh, man, two back, how do we handle two back, two back? And that was a big thing. I remember uh, when I was playing, the linebackers always yelling out, two back, two back, and going over their stuff. And I was like, you guys, I, I'm so happy I don't have to think about that. Because it was always super complicated, and coaches would have to go over that kind of stuff with the linebackers in the, in the defensive line sometimes before practice or after practice. And there was a lot of what we had to deal with in walkthroughs as well, that two-back situation and how those linebacks and defensive linemen handle their responsibilities, whether it's a man coverage or a zone coverage. And that's the real impact of seeing two backs in the backfield. Now now that it's on tape and Maryland has seen it, they, they'll have a chance to practice it and go over it. So I don't think it'll have the same effect that it had on Liberty because when they see it, They'll be able to make the adjustment. Now, it does force the defense to think a little bit. How do we handle this running back? How do we handle that running back? How do we treat them? What's our personnel going to be? What are some of the checks that we're going to go into if we see them motion into something else? Uh, that's the big adjustment. And now, and whenever you force a defense to think, that's kind of how you get your get an advantage on offense because on defense, like the last thing. I'm trying to do if I got a guy across me that's running a 4-4 is think about how he's going to use that 4-4 on me. That's the last thing you want to deal with. So uh, you don't want to be thinking too much, and I think that that's still an advantage bringing out that two-back. But the fact that it's on tape now, uh, that that's going to nullify some of the advantages uh, uh, to spring it on Maryland. But I think that they should be able to handle it. Uh, they've got a good defensive staff, and the linebackers and such, they, they'll be competent enough to be able to handle it. But uh, when you see it, it's like, oh, we have to make an adjustment here or there, and it's going to be a big personnel change on Maryland's, on Maryland's side of the ball. Yeah, I agree with you. and I think that Maryland linebacker group is going to be tested. We talked a little bit about Shaq Smith. They have another transfer from, from a traditionally great football school. Keandre Jones came in from Ohio State. He had played 34 games over three seasons there as a reserve. But you, you've got guys there who have played against some really sharp schemes. Um, so I'll be interested to see how they handle it. I'll also be interested to see how many more wrinkles Syracuse unveils. Do we see a guy get split out? Do you know we already kind of saw that RPO little sprint out option where Devito has the second back in front of him? Do do they move Devito around? They got three really talented guys back there, and I think I think there's a lot more in the tank that that they haven't shown yet. So I'm excited to see what they do there. Um, let's hop over to the phone line. We got Emily Giambalvo from the Washington Post. She does a great job uh, covering the Terrapins there. Um, let's dive into that now. Thanks, Emily, for coming on. Uh, let's just jump right in. You dove into the question that, that I have been asked, and I'm sure you have been asked since Saturday. What does it mean when, a, when an FBS team blows out a bad FCS team? Obviously, Maryland beating Howard 79 nothing. You looked back at the 101 FBS teams that have opened the year with a 50-plus point win. What did you learn? <laughs> yeah, it was actually funny. I think the, the story came from the fact that I was maybe secretly hoping it would say it means nothing and we could all just move on and, and not get so caught up in that. But I, in looking at these teams that have these blowouts, which I decided was a 50-point win or more, um, they are far more likely to have – seven win, eight win, nine win, ten win seasons than what you'd expect just if you put every other FBS team in a bucket and, and find kind of those averages. So, so it's kind of funny. Obviously, um, I'm kind of a math person, and you always go back to the fact that this isn't causation. Um, 
But I think what you can take from this is the teams that do that maybe have some of the qualities that make them more likely to go on to have uh, good seasons. There have been a few examples. Um, my favorite was, I, I think, it was Tulsa went on to win zero uh, games that followed. So, so there are sometimes when it doesn't work perfectly. But it did surprise me. Um, I kind of thought the answer would be absolutely nothing. But it looks like there there is at least some uh, correlation with, with some good results as the season goes on. Sure, yeah, nothing like a little week two optimism for a first-year coaching staff. (laughs) I'm sure the fan base will take it. Maybe you'll get a few more butts in seats for the uh, the Syracuse game. Um, Maybe more kind of your personal takeaways from that first week. You know, what did you learn maybe from a personnel perspective, a scheme perspective that indicates um, some kind of some of the philosophies and and what Mike Loxley and his staff are are trying to do there? Yeah, I think my big takeaway was that Josh Jackson seemed good, and, and it, I need to even go that far um, with, again, a, an FCS opponent. But the quarterback position has been such an issue for Maryland in recent years, and, and that I, I kept saying last season that I thought Maryland was a quarterback away from winning a few more games, and that would have meant a bowl and you know seven win season, which isn't which isn't so bad around here. Um, so it looks like Maryland is going to have an established pass game, and, and I think. A lot of people know that Maryland, with the group of running backs they have, they they would like to be able to run the ball. But I think, you know, all functional offenses have, you know, multiple dimensions. And I think from my perspective, the Howard game did show some promise in both Josh Jackson's ability to be efficient and explosive. I mean, he had some long passes. And then also these young receivers kind of stepping up and, and making the catches. So I think the pass game was really encouraging. Um, we only saw Josh Jackson for about a half. Um, no starters really played in the second half, so I don't know how much we can take away from that. But but even in that half alone, um, he far outdid the, what was typical um, of last year. So I think that that's exciting from an offensive standpoint. And then obviously both Maryland and Syracuse didn't allow any points. Um, I think that that always says something, no matter who the opponent is. But but I do think there are some defensive questions. Maryland's replacing a lot of starters. I don't have a ton of faith in the offensive line or defensive line um, on Maryland's team. And um, yeah, but, but I mean, Maryland couldn't have asked for much more um, in the Howard game. But but I do think there are some concerns. Sure. Yeah. Um, so that's a good good segue. I wanted to ask you about line play. Um, I, I think on both sides of the ball, it's going to be crucial. And I know every football coach will tell you, of, of course, line play is everything. Um, let's start when, with when Maryland's on offense. Syracuse's defensive line is the strength of its team. Um, I think any, anyone who watched last season and, and then the Liberty game sees, you know, kind of just how good they are. Uh, I know Maryland brings back some experience, some older guys on the inside, a little bit, of, a little bit less experience on the outside. You know, what can you tell me about how, how that group and, and, you know, how ready are they for two really experienced and proven pass rushers? Yeah, I think, I personally think that's going to change the game, and I, I, I think that's going to be the reason they're Um, You know, maybe that's a bit of... Uh, you know, a stretch to put it on one thing like that. But I I think the offensive line has a handful of reasons to be concerned. Um, like you mentioned, the experience level isn't isn't through the roof. I'm worried about the left side, the, the left, left tackle spot. Ellis McKinney started there in the Howard game, but Mike Loxley said Jalen Duncan will probably be the starter this weekend. Jalen Duncan didn't play a single snap last year, so, you know, this is all brand new to him. Um, and, and there were a few moments in the Howard game where I thought it was a little concerning, and it, of course it was Howard. Um, 
and I think Syracuse's defensive line is that's going to be a a matchup that just gets really exploited. I think um, that I think that's the game right there. And you know all the things we just talked about with oh Maryland establishes a pass game, Maryland can run the ball. I think you know neither of those things happen. the offensive line can't do much. And just a few weeks ago during fall camp, Mike Austin was saying he only had seven guys he felt really good about. Um, didn't even have like a two deep at that point on the offensive line. And I think that's kind of all you need to know right there uh, about kind of where that group is. And, and I think that's, that could be the difference. Sure. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and I think now when, when the team's flip and Syracuse has the ball, that the story might change a little bit. But before we go there, um, you know, I think if – Josh Jackson doesn't have a ton of time. The short passing game becomes so important. Um, and, and I know Maryland has a lot of a lot of receivers, some capable guys, maybe no number one target. Um, I know losing uh, Ja'Shawn Jones hurt them, a couple tight ends, and, and, and multiple running backs. So what I'm kind of curious about is formationally, what can they kind of do there? Um, I would guess, you know, Loxley didn't really show a ton against Howard, but, but how would you maybe expect um, some of that versatility to be utilized and how do you maybe try and offset uh, the the pressure that's coming for Josh Jackson. Yeah, I think that's a great point, and that's something we've talked about a little bit with Wesley kind of in the preseason and, and looking at developing and and taking advantage of the versatility of the running backs. Um, I think we might see the running backs become more frequent pass catchers, you know, whether it's Josh kind of dumping it off or, or design plays for them. I think they're going to be involved in the pass game in in this game and beyond. I think that's, you know, one of the plans, one of the big changes to this offense this year. I think the tight ends are also um, two of them scored touchdowns last week, and I think Maryland only had one tight end receiving touchdown last year, so they kind of already doubled that total. So I think we might see um, if he doesn't have a ton of time, maybe that does kind of change what, what the pass game looks like, and there is a little more reliance on on those short passes coming from running backs who I do think are talented and, and could uh, could become useful that way. Loxley's really big on talking about, and I know a lot of coaches are, this is kind of like buzzwordy type stuff, but he always is mentioning, you know, the five best skill guys and getting the best guys to touches. You know, it, it doesn't matter if it's a receiver or running back or a tight end or whatever. Um, you know, he's just trying to get the ball into the hands of, of a, a playmaker. And, and I think, you know, we might see some of those rules a little more clear um, this weekend than we did uh, Saturday. Sure, yeah, we've seen some of that up in Syracuse too. They, they've got relative to normal snap availability, a really talented and, and deep backfield. So we saw a little bit of two back against Liberty. Um, I'm, I'm curious. I think we may see both teams try and do stuff like that. Um, but the, to me, the second most interesting storyline after the Maryland offensive line versus the Syracuse defensive line is you flip those because Syracuse's offensive line is not proven either. They had three guys coming back with starting experience. Sam Heckel is hurt starting center. He may play this weekend. He may not. Um, if, if you're you know, that defensive coaching staff, if you're coordinator John Hoke, how are you us- utilizing your personnel to try and create pressure on Tommy DeVito? Yeah, and I, think, I mean, that's something you said. They, they don't want to be a kind of bend-on-break type defense. They do want to apply pressure, I think, they have the capability of doing that, but, but it's still maybe a little bit untested. So Maryland replaced uh, all three guys up front on the defensive line, and, and they were they were good last weekend. But again, you know how much does that really mean? But maybe that is a matchup where Maryland could find an advantage if Syracuse's offensive line isn't, isn't you know at, at its best. 
Um, and then Maryland has the linebackers Shaq Smith and Keandre Jones, who transferred from Clemson and Ohio State. That kind of bolstered the linebacking group, and, and I think that's helped a lot. But I still, you know, don't necessarily feel like the defense is a place to to, to really have comfort um, if you're Maryland. I, I think we'll know more this weekend, but but maybe maybe with the offensive line you're talking about, maybe that is a spot. And I, I know I, ha- I didn't watch the game, um, but I read some of the stories, and it seems like the quarterback play, and I looked at the box score, means something to be concerned about. Um, and, and, you know, maybe that's a spot Maryland is able to apply pressure and kind of get him out of a rhythm or never settle into a rhythm. And, and you know, that, that makes a difference. So, so we'll see kind of how that uh, pans out. All right, Emily, thanks so much for coming on. <laughs> Uh, We really appreciate all your time, and uh, we'll see you on Saturday in College Park. Yep, thanks for having me. Okay, thanks again to Emily. We really appreciate her coming on. Uh, For anyone sitting at home looking for kind of the Maryland perspective this weekend, you can follow her on Twitter at Emily Giam, G-I-A-M. All right, how about we head over to Twitter and take some questions? this one, as soon as I saw it pop up, I was like, oh, this is a great question for Julian. What do you mm. think about Trill Williams' long-term development? Uh, the, the particular question was, do you see him growing into a, a pro-strong safety? Uh, he'll have the size of a strong safety or a free safety and really the safety position in general, but I think his value is going to be at corner. Uh, big deal with me, right? So when you are a bigger corner, you're – Six foot plus, you're hitting that 200 mark. That's when people start to say, "Oh, he's a he might be able to play safety. Oh, can he play in space?" Well, if he's an athlete, you keep him at corner, and I think that that's the case with Trill Williams. I think he's a pure athlete who has the size, and he can stay at corner. Now, even going to the NFL, I still think he has the hips and the agility, the ankle flexibility to stay at the corner position. I think that's where he's most valuable. Now, he can play some nickel and, and mix up that kind of way to kind of have that safety corner hybrid. I think that's a position that's starting to develop in the NFL and in college, and I think he'll be able to play there and, and continue to thrive. But what separates a safety from a corner in, in, at the college level and even at the NFL level is just your agility and what kind of hips you have. Me, I was a corner in, in, in college. I came out of high school as a, as a safety Got to college, played corner because of my length, my size, and Coach Shea had a really big emphasis on uh, having bigger corners. My issue became when I started to see faster receivers, and it was like the the truly elite speed, they were starting to get by me, and opening up my hips was a problem for me. Uh, again, I and then I was just built weird too. I was I had size 13, 14 cleats, and agility. Uh, I'm not gonna have the same agility as a guy who's 5'10", right? So. At some point, eventually, the transition to safety, which I did make at the end of my career, made sense. And then then once I got to the NFL, the Patriots and the Steelers were like, dude, why were you playing corner so long? Not to disrespect. They were were not even trying to, uh, you know, question my abilities. Like, why were you at corner? Like, you're you're clearly a safety. Like, that would have been better for your career. And I was just out of curiosity. Why? It's like, look, you play in space. Well, look at all the interceptions you had in zone versus when you're a man playing in speed. You know, that's, that's forcing you to use your hips differently, and it took away some of your ability uh, with your length and, and how you can use it, right? 
so there's different ways to use length. There's different ways that guys open their hips, and sometimes it translates better at the safety position than it does at the corner position. But with Trill, I think he truly has uh, elite agility. I think he has the hip flexibility, and I think he's better off at that corner spot, both on the outside, jamming up receivers because he has that size and that length. But I also think he has some ability uh, in the slot as well just because he has so much explosive ability and he has the girth to take on uh, blitzes, fight off a running back, fight off a tackle, and use his speed to beat a tackle and such. So he's got a ton of value, but it particularly sticks at corner positions. If you put him in space at safety, I don't, I don't think that it, he'll be able to use his full capabilities. And I, I think that uh, guys like Disco and, and, and like that, I, I think they're better off in those safety positions because they can run and hit and use their ability there. But Trill, man, he, he's a corner through and through. Yeah, thanks to James Austin for that question. I, I will add this, Syracuse's third down defense, the, the passing situation defense, Trill's playing deep middle. Trill's back there with uh, with Evan Foster on one side of him and Andre Sisco on the other, so they certainly value his flexibility. Uh, but mm-hmm. the money's at cornerback, right? Exactly. I mean, if you're a young kid, you're kind of hoping that you can play as much corner as possible because those are the guys that get paid, man. That's, that's the big money in the NFL, that's for sure. No doubt. All right, one more. Tommy Farrell, is Maryland a trap game? Dude, maybe it would have been <laughs> if they didn't beat Howard 79 nothing and and – all the Terrapin fans decided, hey, we're, we're not going to show up to the games, but we're going to put some money down. Syracuse is actually an, an underdog right now by, I believe, two points. Um, and, and I think because of the way that Liberty game went, look, the, the offense was not good. Tommy DeVito and his receivers were not on the same page. Uh, they're, they're, you know, Tommy wasn't sharp himself. I, honestly, underthrowing that wheel route to Nikeem, to me, was yeah. the worst ball yeah. of the night. You can't do that. You can't, like, that's the right. one place you can't miss. Tommy knows that. I'm sure he was all over himself for it. So I don't think it's a trap game. I, I think this is a team that is now ready to go out and prove, like, hey, we're, we're a top 25 team. We are better than we were last week. And, again, Liberty is much better than Howard. I know most people at home have never watched a second of either of them. Liberty has a potential NFL wide receiver or a really good defensive end, uh, a head exactly. coach in Hugh Freeze who might have been coaching from a hospital bed, but he knows what he's doing, you know. So – that aside, I don't think Maryland's a trap game anymore. And we're going to hit one more. Uh, Syracuse, okay, this is a good one. From uh, from Nezi02, Nezi02, how can DeVito and Tristan Jackson get on a better page with each other? You, you've obviously lined up against this offense in practice. You know, when, when you kind of see those guys working on option routes and working on understanding coverages, what do you, what's your perspective on, on how those guys handle it? So I have a, I'm going to make a really boring answer as fun as I can. And the answer is, right, the answer is reps. Like, it, it's truly reps. Like, getting the timing down and then quarterback is saying, all right, let's do it again and again and again. Uh, but for receivers, their process is a little bit different. And I didn't know this, and I give them a lot more credit. Uh, I saw this more in the NFL than I did in college. And I, well, I just didn't care to care in college. But these guys, they have to understand – what the defense is playing and, and my leverage as a corner and what they're seeing from a safety and where they have to be. That's, if you're in the slot, you've got to watch linebackers and where they are and what adjustments you make on the fly and then communicating with your quarterback You know, within under two seconds to know, okay, I'm going here, and then we're going to make some eye contact. I'm going to come to that. You know, just those, those little intricacies of playing the receiver position and having that relationship. And you develop a relationship 
day to day with reps. How do you get a better friendship? How do you have a better relationship with your girl or something? It's just day to day, constantly getting to know someone a little bit better. And this is just getting to know someone better on the football field and how they like to get, where's the ball going to be? Where do they like to go with the ball with certain coverages? How do I communicate that with my quarterback? And how do I communicate that with my receiver? It's a matter of reps and understanding your guy and having a relationship and seeing it together and understanding, okay, if we're given this, this is how we're going to adjust to it and this is how we're going to attack it. That's the key to any quarterback-receiver relationship. and It's just a matter of film study and then getting out there on the field and and tossing the ball to each other and giggling after. You know, it's just a matter of having that relationship. So, again, that's why I'm excited to have Babers as the coach because he's going to help them uh, mentally with the film study and all that. And then as long as DeVito and his guys are together and on the field, you know, those injuries we talked about uh, in camp, that hindered them a bit. But as long as they're getting those reps, and I hope that they're staying at the practice, I'm sure they are, staying at the practice, just getting into that rhythm, I think that's the key for Syracuse net offense, so that they know the timing, so that that ball isn't short, that he knows how to gauge his receiver's speed. He knows how to get it out there at a certain time. You know, it's all about timing, and when you've got option routes like that, that's all just relationship and knowing where to go with the ball. So it's just a matter of reps and understanding where I'm going to go with the football and how I'm going to get it there. Yeah, and it's worth noting that a lot of those receivers missed time during camp. Tristan Jackson was dinged up. Taj Harris was yep. dinged up. Nikeem Johnson had, had surgery after the spring and wasn't full go until maybe the last week of camp. So that obviously limits how many reps you can get out there. I agree with you. Dino yeah. Baber seemed confident that they'd figure it out. Uh, I think Tommy DeVito is, is too good of a quarterback and, and too, too he, he, he's very easy going with his receivers. I think he can bring himself down to that level and, and work yeah. with those guys. And, uh, and, and frankly, he'll have to with the offensive line you know, they're dealing with. Even if they take a step forward, they're going to need that short passing game. All right, let's uh, transition to some recommended reading for the week. I got three good stories. Uh, first, Emily Giambalvo, who, who we had on earlier, uh, she did a little analysis. Basically, what does it mean when your team blows someone out in week one? She looked at the 101 instances of a team beating another team by 50-plus points and how many wins they got. Uh, seven. To, basically, it said they're usually going to be good, and which you know she was. She said she was kind of expecting. Well, not that it usually means there's a, it's correlation, not causation. But she was expecting a much more even spread of season-long wins. And, and there was a team, as, as she said, I believe Tulsa, that didn't win again for the rest of the year. But for, for all the Terrapin fans out there, here's a little bit of Week 2 optimism. Um, you know, dig into that story really good. Uh, my colleague Nate Mink wrote about Chris Elmore playing for uh, the ones he's lost. His great-grandmother died recently. He had a friend a very good friend in high school, um, die in a fire. Uh, so it was a really good story by Nate to, to talk to Chris, affectionately known as Rhino, uh, and, and just kind of what drives him to be the absolute monster of a blocker that he is on the field. And we got one more kind of looking ahead to next week. My guy David Hale at ESPN.com wrote about Travis Etienne, Clemson's superstar running back, and, and kind of where he falls in the hierarchy of, of backs in recent college football history. And, and as, he, as he writes in the headline, his reluctant embrace of stardom. You know, he's a guy who, who goes back and, and shows up to a softball game in his hometown and, and pays admission to play in, like, the, the local game. Um, so kind of a cool look at him there. Obviously, we'll have a lot to talk about with Clemson next week. Uh, but check those stories out. 
and yeah, it's 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 time for predictions. All right, Julian, let's start with you. What what do you see happening this weekend in College Park? And then big picture, you know, what are you expecting for the season? Uh, well, for Maryland, I'm expecting a little bit of the same that we saw against Liberty. I expect the defensive line to have another dominant game. I don't think that they're going to be able to get the ball out as quickly as they can uh, or that they should. I don't think they'll be able to go downfield with the football when they need to. And then, again, their rushing attack, I think it will be uh, – you know, viable in the first half or so, but I don't think it'll be something that they can sustain for a full game. I think they'll be able to put points up, but not enough to win the football game. And I also believe that on the offensive side for Syracuse, that they'll be able to put points up, uh, the offense will get going. So I'm expecting to be a little bit closer, but I'm still predicting the Syracuse win 27-14 Syracuse. Uh, I expect them to, to find a way to win this football game. The offense comes together, the defense shows what they can do. Uh, and then, down the road, I've, I've said for the longest, I think this is a 10-11 football, win football team. I, I look at the schedule, and my constant question is, who is going to beat them? Just who? Who? Because across the board, this is the most talented Syracuse football team that we've had in like 20 years. Like 20 years. And the ACC is probably at its weakest that it's been uh, in a very long time. So uh, I just don't see this team losing many games. I don't think the strength of schedule is, is at a point where they can lose more than one or two games this year. I'm giving, I'm dropping them against Clemson for now and then um, spotting them a loss at some point down the season just because they're college kids and you never know what they're thinking about. So I really, I, I really don't see this, this team losing many games. And, again, down the road, 10-11, I'm already booking my trip to the Orange Bowl. Very nice. I got Syracuse 31, Maryland 24 this weekend. I agree with you. I think Syracuse's defense flat out wins this game. Um, I think Josh Jackson's a great quarterback, and then two years ago at Virginia Tech, he completed almost 60% of his balls for, I think, 22 touchdowns to nine interceptions. But he's going to be facing pressure all day. As we've seen, it only takes a couple of bad decisions to change the game. Um, and I think given Syracuse a short field with a really good kicker, even if the offense isn't fully – you know, fully flowing. Um, you know, I, I just, I just think the defensive line is going to be too much, and that's what is going to set the tone on Saturday. If something does go wrong for, for me, aside from the offense struggling, it's going to be giving up the big play. That is one of the things the last couple years that Syracuse hasn't been great with. Safeties maybe taking a, a couple risks they shouldn't. Um, linebackers last year, especially early on, being in the wrong spots. Um, so you know, we'll see if they can avoid giving up those plays over the top and force Maryland to work its way down the field because every play is an opportunity for a sack or a tackle for loss or a fumble or an interception. And I know defensive, Brian, defensive coordinator Brian Ward preaches that. Uh, looking big picture for the season, I said 9-3 and three at the start of the year, but, man, after watching Florida State blow that game in week one, like, I don't know, man, you're, you're spot on. Like, I... I got Clemson beating them. I think Clemson's offense is, like, historically great, and their defensive yeah. line is going to reload. I figured they would slip up a couple spots along the way, and the offensive line still concerns me, but I don't have a great answer when you ask me who is going to beat them. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. And, 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 you know, as has been discussed, there are still a couple guys on this team that are practically irreplaceable. Like, if Tommy DeVito gets hurt, the, the course of the season changes. Aaron Service – Alton Robinson or Kendall Coleman, you know, I know they have some depth on the D-line for sure, but, but Syracuse's depth isn't at the point where one or two injuries in the wrong spots couldn't change that course. 
Um, all right, guys, that was the Week Zero podcast for Stephen Bailey and Julian Wiggum. Uh, we're signing off. Go on, subscribe, give us five stars. Local advertisers, hit my guy Dylan Carpenter up, 315-470-6069. And you can hit us up on Twitter for questions every week. Thanks so much for listening.